0: Welcome back to Sports Crush with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo. The preseason has concluded, and we are less than a week away from the real beginning of the 2018 NFL regular season. Can I hear that confetti drop?
1: Sure. Thank you, (laughs) (laughs) Hal.
0: Yes, it's my favorite time of year again. Football is back. But right now, the NFL is in the midst of its most brutal 48-hour period of the year as all 32 clubs are in the process of cutting down their rosters from 90 players to 53 players, which they must do by 4 p.m. Eastern time today. However, as much as I feel the pain of many of those players getting their dreams deferred right now, I would rather devote the time to discussing the excitement surrounding the National Football League this season, and that's why today we are doing our annual NFL Predictions episode. And once again, is there any better guy to do it with than my buddy Hal Bent of fullpresscoverage.com? I don't think so. What's up, Hal?
1: Hey, David. I am excited and ecstatic as well that we are so close to kickoff for this season. Um, I'm just... You know that these preseason games haven't sated my appetite. I am ready to go, and I am excited to to start getting these predictions in here on tape and uh, see how the twenty eighth season uh, comes about.
0: Oh, me too, man! This is arguably my favorite weekend of the year. Not because it's Labor Day weekend, of course, but this week uh, we have the first major weekend of college football. I look forward to watching quite a bit of that this week, especially. Um, Auburn going against Washington. I'm anxious to see LSU against Miami, especially the matchup between Greedy Williams, a potential top 10 pick in next year's draft against Amon Richards, a potential first round wide receiver talent from Miami. And also Devin White, that linebacker from LSU who has uh, first round potential. Uh, and obviously I'm watching some of the best teams go at it tomorrow, like Alabama, Ohio State, you name it. And, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this coming week, I have three fantasy drafts. Those, I have three fantasy drafts, one on Monday, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday, and the NFL season officially kicks off Thursday between the Falcons and Eagles, man. It's, it's arguably the most exciting couple days of the year for me.
1: For sure, without a doubt. I'm excited to start getting ready for the 2019 NFL draft and watching some games on Saturday, and, and I have my uh, big fantasy league drafts start on Saturday night. So that's where I'll be hunkered down in front of the computer and just getting ready for Thursday night in the NFL.
0: Yes, and I'd also like to take this opportunity to say that every week, Hal and I will have a fantasy segment on our weekly preview episodes of the games that week. And part of the fantasy preview will include a set your lineup. So if you uh, when you hear this, and if you want Hal and me to set your lineup for week one, please submit it to us by tweeting us at SportsCrunch or at HalBento1 or finding us on SportsCrunch on Facebook as well. So please submit those set your lineups because Hal and I are eager to help you dominate your league throughout this season. But before we enter our prediction, Sal, I want to talk about two of the biggest uh, bombshells or some of the biggest bombshells that went down in the National Football League this week. And the New York Jets, they were probably listening to you. They did exactly what you recommended as they traded Teddy Bridgewater in a 2019 sixth-round pick to the New Orleans Saints for a 2019 third-round pick. And this is a great trade for the Jets, um, mark my words. And you cannot ignore Mike McCagnin's brilliance in the quarterback market this offseason. Talk about blindly trading up to the third overall pick of the draft by surrendering three second-round picks, two in 2018, one in 2019 re-signing Josh McCown for up to $10 million, and signing Teddy Bridgewater for only 500000 guaranteed, and then he takes the world by storm in the preseason, and you turn that into a third-round pick. But I also think this is a fantastic deal for the New Orleans Saints. Not only does Teddy Bridgewater give the Saints, who are in a Super Bowl or bust year, arguably the best backup quarterback in the league, in case Drew Brees gets hurt, he also gives them a legitimate potential long-term starting replacement for the future Hall of Famer. With Breeze turning 40 after this season, should the Saints be willing to part ways with Drew Breeze and extend Teddy Bridgewater? Should the latter impress them these next four months?
1: That's the the toughest question right now with these aging quarterbacks that don't want to slow down their production. I mean, this is exactly what played out in New England last year with Jimmy Garoppolo looking so good as that up-and-coming next player and the ownership of the team being Bound to that veteran that's been there. Tom Brady's going into year 19. Drew Brees has been double-digit years in New Orleans as well. How much do you owe that quarterback who has brought so much to your franchise? And in New England, they made the choice, which may have been the wrong choice, to get rid of Garoppolo and keep the veteran Tom Brady and now have to restart this process of finding the next guy. So I... I would not be surprised at all if Sean Payton sees something that he likes in Teddy Bridgewater having him for this full season for almost nothing, basically, Um, a low-cost backup. He may move on from Drew Brees. I wouldn't be surprised if he's ruthless enough to do that for the best betterment of his franchise.
0: I wouldn't be surprised either, but either way... The Saints have to make this count in the long run as well, and if they do believe that Drew Brees can, like Tom Brady, play until his mid-40s, um, I think they have to consider shopping Bridgewater at the trading deadline if they're leaning that direction, don't you?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult to franchise a quarterback um, and make it work. The the Patriots did it with Matt Castle, who certainly was not, I'm not going to put him in the Teddy Bridgewater, Jimmy Garoppolo category, but they were able to do that. But that was a big risk. And now with the franchise tag being so much more, I mean, you're, you're looking at possibly being stuck with having to release Bridgewater to get that salary cap money off if you can't work a deal if the other 31 franchises hold you hostage by not working out the trade. So it's a big risk, and that definitely has to be a possibility of the Saints committing to Breeze and doing the same thing the Patriots did and shipping out that b- backup quarterback at the trading deadline.
0: You're absolutely right, Hal. But one of these two quarterbacks is probably going to have to leave New Orleans at the end of the 2018 season. But if Teddy Bridgewater shows the Saints coaching staff in front office what he needs to show them, then I think they have to side Teddy Bridgewater long term because you have a promising young core in place uh, given the 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 last couple draft classes, Michael Thomas, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan uh Alvin Kamara, Marcus Williams, you name it and Marcus Davenport, if he uh, continues to develop as expected this year. Uh, The Saints have a very promising young core in place. You need to keep that train rolling long-term. And the best bet to keep that train rolling is to get younger at quarterback with a guy like Teddy Bridgewater because a lot of people – are saying, well, it's it, it, this could be the group think that, oh, Tom Brady is just the beginning of something. He's not an anomaly. Um, most other quarterbacks are going to play into their mid-40s if they can. I don't quite buy that because Tom Brady's diet and workout regimen are just so unorthodox compared to the rest of the league. And that's not a knock on Drew Brees per se, but I feel that Brees might start falling off the cliff a bit sooner than Tom Brady. So, I would personally keep Bridgewater if he shows them enough.
1: It's it's a great point, David. I'm just looking at, you know, with this move, what the Saints are doing as well is, you know, Tom Brady's worst season was probably 2013. And when they brought Jimmy Garoppolo in in 2014, all of his stats, which had dropped off for almost three consecutive seasons on a downward trend, took that spike upwards. And with the pride of Tom Brady, the the pride of drew Brees, who's been told he's too short he's you know he's the guy that they didn't want in miami and had to go to new orleans in free agency that's been bet against repeatedly you know just this trade for bridgewater could be a huge boost for him emotionally and bring out the best and then you know if you're looking at drew Brees all of a sudden turning around and having a career season in new orleans much like Brady turned his game around with that pressure of the younger quarterback behind him in his upper thirties, you know, that that could make it even tougher for New Orleans if, say, they're seven and one uh, you know, and they're trying to figure out is it worth making a trade or not, where Breeze's is putting up 400 yards and three or four touchdowns every night and looking the best he ever has.
0: Oh, that wouldn't surprise me either. As I I said with Mark Schofield on our fantasy episode, Previewing Quarterbacks, we both expect Drew Brees to throw the ball a lot more this year because they have a much more tougher and more competitive schedule. And Brees uh, uh, getting Teddy Bridgewater there could indeed um, give him some extra fire, just like uh, uh, the Chiefs drafting Pat Mahomes made Alex Smith so motivated that he turned to the best season of his career last year. So we could see a similar situation play out in New Orleans. And also this week, we saw three historic NFL contract extensions get handed out. Odell Beckham Jr. became the highest paid wide receiver in NFL history, rightfully so. Aaron Rodgers became the highest paid player, period, in NFL history, and rightfully so. And just today, Aaron Donald became the highest paid defensive player in NFL history, and rightfully so. However, Khalil Mack is still yet to get his, and we shouldn't expect to see him on the football field until he does get that extension. That said, while the situation remains fluid... The Raiders, as has been reported by multiple people in recent days and hours, they're realizing that it may be in their best long-term economic interest, given their cap situation and the needs all over the roster, to trade the all-pro edge defender. And as of right now, all signs point to that happening. Even though they don't want to trade Mac, they realize it might make more sense economically And in terms of long-term roster building and three teams have been mentioned as a potential trading partner, the Packers, and they have the draft capital to make such a trade work. If the Raiders want two firsts, the Packers have two firsts in the 2019 draft and the Browns and Jets who have the cap space to make a long-term extension work. And any trade with Khalil Mack must include a long-term extension ready for him to sign immediately. If you were Khalil Mack, which of those three teams would top your wish list, and why?
1: Well, I mean, the obvious answer is Green Bay, where you're going where Aaron Rodgers is already in place on the other side of the ball. you've got an exciting young defense in that secondary i thought I think Green Bay did a great job in the draft addressing that secondary. that defense is has Clay Matthews on there as well. You've got a fellow superstar right in your front seven with you to take some of that pressure off
0: of you Don't I forget mean it's, Mike Daniels.
1: Yeah. If, if, don't forget, never sleep on Mike Daniels. Talk about players who've taken big steps in the last couple of years moving up. So that's a great position to insert a, a 15 to 20 sack premier edge rusher in. Um, you're looking super Bowl with Khalil Mack on that defense if you're the Green Bay Packers.
0: Oh, you most definitely are. And as appealing as the Packers are, and rightfully so, uh, I just... It's just mouthwatering the potential upside with him and Miles Garrett on the field at the same time. That could be the best uh, pass for Chicago, dare I say, in NFL history. That's how big that potential would be.
1: But Cleveland had the opportunity to get Chubb as well with that number four pick, and, and for some reason I still haven't figured out since the draft, passed on him for Denzel Ward, and You know, is Cleveland ready to make that that big step forward? Are they going to invest the draft capital um, to make that move the way they've been hoarding the picks for so many years now? Can they let them go and and take that next step is kind of the the question mark I have with Cleveland right now.
0: Uh, Yes. Which one of these teams do you think ends up acquiring Khalil Mack?
1: Well, I mean, there's no team more desperate for pass rush than the New York Jets. They've been trying to get pressure on Tom Brady since, go back to 2001. So the Jets have the salary cap space for sure. They've they've shown that they're willing to make the moves if necessary to send over the draft picks. I'm not sure that Oakland will get the two first-round draft picks when you start looking at the contract that's going to have to come with that trade. That's a lot of capital to give up in addition to the, you know, close to $20 million a year and all that upfront money that it's going to cost to keep Khalil Mack. So it it's tough, but I think, you know, for New York, they could do that. They desperately need that type of player if they're going to take that next step with all the improvements that they've made to that defense and, you know, that could be a that could be a huge step forward for the jets and if they can bring that price down that's something mike mcagnan should be looking at
0: i wouldn't be surprised if he ends up on either team but as i said uh, an advantage the packers have in this Potential bidding war is that they have two first round picks next year, and if you are their new general manager Brian Gutekunst, as he showed us in the draft and in free agency, unlike Ted Thompson, he is super aggressive. And you got Aaron Rodgers, who's going to be 35 years old at the end of the season. Yes, you sign him to that big extension that's going to keep him in Green Bay for the remainder of his career, but he's Aaron Rodgers. You, you could say that he is kind of toward the end of his prime, and you have to straighten that roster around him in order to get him another Lombardi trophy or two. So if you're Brian Gutekunst, do you pull the trigger by setting those two first-rounders to Oakland?
1: I definitely would. If I if I was in Green Bay, you can't risk another uh, wasting another year of Aaron Rodgers in his prime. And as we had just talked about with Breeze and Brady – we don't know how long that prime is going to last for Aaron Rodgers. We're thinking 4 or 5 years no problem. You know, he's got a little less mileage on his arms as well on his arm as well having sat for those years behind Brett Favre, so maybe he's got a little extended, you know, you can extend his prime a little bit more, but you, you they've only got one Super Bowl out of Aaron Rodgers so far in Green Bay and if that's all they get out of a player of his talent, that's a crying shame. So it, it's if I'm Green Bay, I'm pulling that trigger, and I'm looking at a three-, four-year run of getting to that Super Bowl with Aaron
0: Rodgers. It would be a shame if they cannot get another Super Bowl out of the Aaron Rodgers era. As I've been saying, while Tom Brady, to me and to most everyone else, is the best quarterback in NFL history— the best quarterback in terms of being the most talented and complete package is Aaron Rodgers, hands down. I haven't seen a quarterback with the athleticism and smarts that Aaron Rodgers has. All of those combined in one package. Talk about the rarest of rare talents. And if Aaron Rodgers wins another Super Bowl, I think he could crack the list of the top three quarterbacks of all time. Don't you think so?
1: I think he's already there. I mean, there you, you week by week, every week you watch Aaron Rodgers and there's this there's always one of those throws that he makes that you say, "My god, there's nobody else in the NFL that's going to put the ball right there in that type of situation, in the pocket, outside of the pocket, under pressure. He, he he's just superhuman sometimes back there." And again, yeah, I mean, I don't I can't imagine Green Bay, you know, having an opportunity to, to take a huge step forward. You've, you're already in that tough NFC North with Minnesota. The Bears are on the up. The Lions look like they could take another step forward here as well in 2018. So you, you need to be aggressive and take advantage of your opportunities before these windows start closing.
0: Oh, they better. And if they want Khalil Mack, Brian Gutekunst, Park with those two first-round picks, it's more than worth it to salvage the remaining prime and the remaining years of the career of Aaron Rodgers. And before we continue with our predictions for the 2018 NFL season, we are pleased to announce that as of today, Sports Crutch with D-Crom is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Top Choice Athletics and follow them on Twitter at RealTC Athletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from topchoiceathletics.com. And now moving right along with our 2018 predictions, we start with the awards and honors. And for league MVP, I'm going with Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone in 2013. He returned the following year, any one league MVP. I think he does it again, and proving why he and a Packers team that in many ways is young and up-and-coming, especially on defense, uh, Aaron Rodgers proves why he's the most valuable player in the league by guiding the Packers to another playoff berth, and I think an NFC championship berth.
1: Well, I, I certainly could see Aaron Rodgers there. I'm looking at Matt Ryan, I think, you know, with the Steve Sarkeesian offense here in year two, that adjustment period is over, he's got so many weapons in the backfield at the wide receiver position, Calvin Ridley uh, added in as well as another weapon for him to throw to, I'm looking at Atlanta taking a big step back into that Super Bowl contention this year, and I'm looking at Matt Ryan as having another MVP type season.
0: Oh, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen either, Hal, and I'll explain why when we get to our division and playoff picks and for Offensive Player of the Year, I thought a little bit outside the box here. I went with Travis Kelsey, and here's why. The Kansas City Chiefs have a super, super promising young quarterback named Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes, with that big arm, uh, that's the first thing people look at. But Patrick Mahomes, he has mature decision-making for a young quarterback, as he showed you in that Week 17 game at Denver last year. And his decision-making, you can easily say, is more mature than Brett Favre's was at this point of his career. And obviously, They say the ceiling for Patrick Mahomes is a Brett Favre type career. I wouldn't be surprised if he eventually turns into a better version of Brett Favre, given how the guy is wired. And Travis Kelsey will be the offensive player of the year because the Chiefs, they're rebuilding on defense. They're going to find themselves in a lot of shootouts. And with Tyree Killen, Sammy Watkins, and Kareem Hunt there to draw attention away from Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey will assert himself as the most dominant mismatch weapon in the NFL. No offense, Rob Gronkowski, but his time is sort of reaching the end, and Travis Kelsey takes that time title away from him this year with an Offensive Player of the Year season.
1: That's a great pick, David. I love that. Travis Kelsey, I mean, you saw his value in that wild card round game against Tennessee, where when he went out of that game, that Kansas City offense flatlined in the second half. And instead of Kansas City going into New England in that divisional round where they had already won this season they ended up with Tennessee going in there and the Patriots getting an easy win to move on to to face Jacksonville. So great pick there. I'm going to go with Drew Brees for the reasons we talked about earlier, having Teddy Bridgewater behind him. I already had him lightly penciled in there. And then once that trade came across, it just seems like there's so many pieces on that offense right now. They're in such a great tune, and any little motivation for Breeze can push him above everybody else on that crowd and edge out Matt Ryan for Offensive Player of the Year.
0: Oh, and talk about the same division as well. I expect the Saints and Falcons to be neck and neck for that division all season long, and we will further explain why in a bit. But moving on to Defensive Player of the Year, I am going with the first overall pick of the 2017 NFL Draft in Miles Garrett. He showed you in that third preseason game why the Browns took him number one overall over any of the quarterbacks. Miles Garrett, like Von Miller, like Khalil Mack, like J.J. Watt, like Aaron Donald, he is one of those complete freak athletes and technicians that you want attacking the quarterback. And Miles Garrett just dominated that third preseason game, and with the Browns, I expect them with Tyrod Taylor now at the helm to be more competitive in games because Tyrod Taylor is not going to turn the ball over a lot. And that de- and that Browns defense was quietly a very underrated unit last year, but uh Greg Williams, please use Jabril Peppers the way he's supposed to be used this year. Pretty, pretty please. But still I I'm expecting the Browns to take a sizable step forward and be competitive in most of their games. And that will allow Miles Garrett to get double digit plus sacks and several forced fumbles as well. And Miles Garrett, uh, firmly enters the stage as one of the best defenders in the league this year?
1: You know, I, I was thinking about this earlier, and it, there are just so many great defensive players in the NFL right now. I went back and rewatched the Patriots preseason game three against Carolina the other night, and I couldn't take my eyes off of Luke Keekley going sideline to sideline. He was so impressive. And then from there, I, my mind went to Bobby Wagner, the, the last holdover in Seattle, practically, of that legion of boom and how important and how much of an impact he has on the game. And then staying in the NFC, I thought, well, wait a minute. What about Everson Griffin in Minnesota? This could be a huge breakout year for him. But when we're talking about pass rushers, you think of the AFC, Von Miller, J.J. Watt back in healthy. But my choice? Joey Bosa for the Chargers, there's a defense that's primed to blow away the NFL this year. So much talent. He's got Melvin Ingram on the other side, occupying blockers as well. Joey Bosa is just one of the best pass rushers in the NFL and still improving at this time. So that's why I've got him circled as my defensive player of the year out of a huge cast of characters to choose
0: from and shame on me for not mentioning Joey Bosa with those freaky athletes that I mentioned along with Miles Garrett with the Von Millers and the Khalil Max of the world Joey Bosa is of that stature and his little brother Nick might not be far behind when he enters the league Nick might be the first overall pick in next year's draft I can't wait to watch Nick tomorrow as well
1: exactly and and you know we (laughs) hey what about Aaron Donald the reigning (laughs) defensive player of the year
0: yeah you know and he just (laughs) got paid what he deserved to get paid
1: exactly and you know he's going to be there right at you know ready to go week one so you know he's going to be piling up those stats as well so you know this is going to be a you know just so many talented players out there on defense and and we haven't even talked about anybody in the secondary
0: oh we have it and uh, and we'll get to that in a minute but now that you mentioned Aaron Donald and I mentioned Nick Bosa you got to mention Ed Oliver if you're watching college football this season because if there's any other guy Who's it? Katetchen for that number one overall pick in 2019. It's Ed Oliver from Houston, and Ed Oliver, he is Aaron Donald reincarnated, if not a more freakier version of Aaron Donald, because I see a little bit of J.J. Watt in him as well, given his surprisingly fluid hips and. Sp- and change direction speed for, for a guy of 270, 280 pounds. Ed Oliver is the other big guy to watch in college football this season to start off the season especially because he and Nick Bosa are looking like they're the two best prospects in this class period next year.
1: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that's basically, you know, uh, Ed Oliver, Nick Bosa, A.J. Dillon, you know, it's there's a lot of players to be watching on Saturdays here who are going to be in the NFL soon and you know must watch uh must watch football so i'm, I'm excited to see oliver and bosa and aj dylan on the other side of the football as well throwing in my local you know boston we don't have a lot of college football here but we've got aj dylan so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes and but you mentioned the amount of defensive talent that's coming into the league recently, and for good reasons. Von Miller, J.J. Watt, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Jadavian Clowney, Everson Griffin, uh, you name it. But now that's about to be added with next year with a, a freakishly deep and talented defensive front class with uh, Nick Bosa, Ed Oliver, Raquan Davis from Alabama, Rashawn Gary from Michigan, Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State, y- you name it. We could... this era of defensive football could be one of the most memorable, if not the most memorable in the league's history. And I see several Hall of Famers and potential Hall of Famers among the guys I just listed already, man. This has been an era for defenses in the NFL.
1: It really has. And I mean you can even go back and, and look at this draft here as well. You know, Bradley Chubb, Roquan Smith. Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, Deron Payne, Marcus Davenport, uh, Derwin James, Jair Alexander, Van Der Esch, uh, you know, Rashawn Evans. Th- there was so many defensive players here in this first round of the draft just, you know it was just mind-boggling how far ahead the defense seems to be ahead of the offense here of these players coming out of college and, and ready to contribute right away in the NFL.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's a big reason why I said this has been an era for defense to the National Football League. Don't let the numbers on offense fool you in terms of talent I believe there's a lot more talent on the defensive side of the ball in football these days than the offensive side of the ball and speaking of draft classes let's go to our rookie of the year picks for offensive rookie of the year I'm sticking with Saquon Barkley yes the Giants offensive line is suspect and the schedule is tough but they have Odell Beckham out wide, Sterling Shepard in the slot, Evan Ingram at tight end, a massive mismatched weapon. Defenses are going are gonna to have to pick their poison. They're going to have to defend the pass at sometimes to take a safety out of the box. And that's going to give Saquon Barkley some opportunities on the ground. Plus, Saquon Barkley is an excellent receiver and pass protector. He is going to get a lot of receptions in the passing game. So Saquon Barkley, I think, could go well over 1,500 to 1,800 yards plus total, if not 2,000 yards plus total, because of the weaponry around him, I still think Saquon Barkley wins offensive rookie of the year. He might undergo some growing pains as expected, but with what he has around him, Saquon Barkley's opportunities are wide open to make a lot of plays and eat up a lot of yards this year for the New York Giants.
1: And that's a that's a great word you use there, opportunity, because he is going to get that opportunity. And if you're you're looking at the rookies here, there's you know, there's a lot of young quarterbacks that may or may not have the opportunity. And, you know, the first round was full of offensive linemen, but the skill position players, you know, you're getting down to the DJ Moores in Carolina. What kind of impact is Richard Penny gonna have as a rookie? And really the one that jumped out to me. Is Calvin Ridley there in Atlanta, and the the impact he can have there? You know, stepping into Muhammad Sanu's role and and getting him, um, you know, into a little smaller role, and and giving you know Matt Ryan that that excellent option opposite of Julio Jones. And you look at that offense with Atlanta, with Austin Hooper, a very solid tight end. Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman, probably the best backfield combo in the NFL. And now adding Calvin Ridley, who can do anything at wide receiver, opposite of Julio Jones and still having Mohamed Sanu out there as well. He's going to have that opportunity with Matt Ryan, throwing him the football. And that's why I have Calvin Ridley as my offensive rookie of the year.
0: Oh, I really like that pick as well, and we'll talk more about it in a bit, but let's move on to Defensive Rookie of the Year, and I got one of those guys you mentioned, Derwin James. Derwin James, in my eyes, is the final piece to making that Chargers defense go from very, very, very good to great, if not elite. Derwin James should solve a lot of their problems in the run game. He adds a physical presence up the middle, plus he's very versatile. He could defend tight ends. He could defend running backs. He could line up in the slot. He is a freakish talent in the Cam chancellor and Eric Berry mold. He is a textbook fit for Gus Bradley's scheme, but Derwin James could very well be that final piece that gets that Chargers defense to being truly an elite unit. So Derwin James, my pick for defensive rookie of the year.
1: I love that pick. I'm just going to go a little bit different. I'm looking at what's that big stat on defense that makes everybody go crazy, it's Saks. And if I'm thinking sacks as a defensive rookie, I'm thinking Bradley Chubb in Denver, being able to rush the passer alongside with Ron Miller there, with Shane Ray, Shaquille Barrett, all those pass rushers coming free for Denver, attacking quarterbacks like that. Bradley Chubb's going to have a great opportunity to make a big impact. His advanced play... For a young defensive lineman against the run stands out with him, but being able to add that pressure to the quarterback and and pile up some of those sacks while Vaughn Miller's getting double teamed is really going to make him pop as a rookie here, I think, and revitalize that Denver defense in 2018.
0: Yeah, plus with a more competent quarterback in Case Keenum on offense, the Broncos aren't going to turn the ball over as much as they did last year, and the defense will be in much more favorable game situations for Bradley Chubb to go eat.
1: For sure, and as long as that secondary holds up and, and Bradley Ra- Roby holds up as that you know, um, opposite Chris Harris stepping in and not missing a keep to lead, that could be right back to that dominant Denver defense that we're so used to.
0: Oh, and also don't sleep on Justin Simmons, uh, the third-year safety from Boston College, who can assert himself as one of the top five at his position this year.
1: For sure. He's shown great talent. You've got Simmons there. You've got Darian Stewart, the steady veteran. Uh, Sua Cravens is still back there as well. So there's options in that Denver defense that, you know, they're just rolling players out there, and it could be a, a very exciting year. Uh, for the Broncos, if that offense can, you know, stop stumbling over themselves.
0: Most certainly. And let's move on to fantasy football MVP. And this was a tough one for me, but I chose Ezekiel Elliott. Yes, I have concerns with Travis Frederick, likely out for the season with, with his battle with Guillain-Barre syndrome. We wish you well, Travis, and we hope to see you back on the field as soon as possible. Plus, uh, Tyron Smith's bulky back, at, uh, but Zach Martin, I he's going to be fine for week one. But Still, Ezekiel Elliott's going to be the offense for the Cowboys this year. Uh, Dak Prescott doesn't have a clear favorite in the receiving game with Des Bryant and Jason Witten now gone. And they're, and the offensive line is still the strength of the team, even without Travis Frederick. So Ezekiel Elliott is going to get the ball maybe 30-plus times per game, dare I say. And also, you're going to involve him more in the passing game with the offensive line downgraded because of Travis Frederick's absence. Get him on those quick outs and slants and screens, and he is going to pile up a lot of points for fantasy owners, especially at PPR leagues. So you're looking at double-digit touchdowns and maybe 2,000-plus total scrimmage yards.
1: That's a great choice there. I almost chose Ezekiel Elliott. I went to another player that's going to be touching the ball Repeatedly for an offense which has a million question marks, and that's the Arizona Cardinals, and that's David Johnson. I think he's looked like he's going to be back at full speed. He's got something to prove. He wants to take back that title of the best overall running back that he had. And you look at that Arizona Cardinals offense, the offensive line is a mess. They don't really have a lot of great options at tight end to to pick up the passes. Sam Bradford, is he going to last one week, three weeks, five weeks? When does Josh Rosen take over there? It probably isn't going to be too long. And other than Larry Fitzgerald, there's not a lot of options that jump out at you in that receiving corps. Rookie Christian Kirk, can he make an impact right away? Probably not. Is Chad Williams going to step up? Bryce Butler, ooh, you know, that's not pretty there in Arizona. And I think David Johnson is going to be fed the ball in the running game and fed the ball in the passing game as well. And, and I have him as my fantasy MVP for 2018.
0: Oh, I could easily see that happening. And as we said on earlier episodes, uh, whether it's Sam Bradford or Josh Rosen playing quarterback for them, Uh, in any games this season. They're going to need to protect Bradford and Rosen because that offensive line is absolutely atrocious, especially in pass protection. And the best way to protect that is to feed David Johnson on nearly every play if you can. So uh, that could easily happen as well. And for comeback player of the year, and this is going to be a fascinating competition for this under this year, given the amount of people coming off of season ending injuries. Andrew Luck, uh, you got Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, uh, you name it, but I'm going with J.J. Watt, and here's why. While I don't think Watt will ever be the MVP-type player he was uh, in the early years of his career, I still think that if he stays healthy this year, he is going to be a, a dominant force, a, a force that's more dominant than a lot of people are anticipating, and I think he comes back on the seat and reasserts himself as one of the best in his position.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, J.J. Watt could key a, a huge season for Houston just being healthy and with all the health problems he's had, you know, not just the back, but some shoulders, knees, you know, to have him everything taken care of, breasted, back to full strength. He could have a huge year as a comeback player of the year. I had Watt chosen as, as well. Um, it was between him and David Johnson, but I was thinking the same thing with J.J. Watt. He is primed to, to lead a Houston team that seems like it's ready to take that next step forward as long as Deshaun Watson, another potential comeback player of the year as well, uh, continues to progress as he looked like he was doing last year before injury.
0: So Hal and I are in agreement on Comeback Player of the Year in J.J. Watt, and last but not least in our award predictions, Coach of the Year. I went with Mike Zimmer, and here's why. Uh, Mike Zimmer has already asserted himself, in my opinion, as a top five, top ten coach in this league, but this year he shows you why he is. And he is a Bill Parcells disciple, just like Bill Belichick is a Bill Parcells disciple. And one of the main things that Bill Belichick took away from Bill Parcells was learning how to win games in a variety of ways. And the Vikings have the team to do that. They're going to win in a wide variety of ways this year. Some wins will be on the heels of a dominant running game and dominant defense. Other games will be on behalf of uh, explosive offense. So Mike Zimmer is going to have that team prepared for every single scenario this year. And he has the personnel to execute whatever scenario is needed to win. And that's what will get him coach of the year honors as he gets the Vikings uh, further than they've been in many years.
1: I love Mike Zimmer. He's probably one of my favorite coaches in the league to have that defensive mind that organizational skills that he brings, with all that experience and so many different systems, you just look at it and you go, it, you know, I'd hate to be a Cincinnati Bengals fan and think that, you know, he's the one who got away. He's the one that that should have just been promoted up to head coach there. And what a difference that would be for that franchise. I was really looking at. I was having a tough time choosing this choice. I was thinking of two head coaches that are going to have their teams taking a big step forward that I think is going to happen, one from the NFC South, one from the AFC South. I was thinking Dan Quinn and the Atlanta Falcons. I've already talked about what I think that team is without even touching on that young, aggressive defense that they've built up there in Atlanta as well. And this could be a big year for the Falcons again. And in the AFC, Billy O'Brien in Houston, this is a team that Finally, is getting all the pieces together and if this team stays healthy they could be one of the favorites come playoffs time coming out of the AFC East so I've got us a tie between Bill O'Brien and Dan Quinn
0: oh those are two very good choices there Hal and now let's move on to our division prediction starting in the AFC East and this one was the easiest for me to pick Uh, the Patriots are headed shoulders above the rest of the division still and I expect them going 13 and 3 this year, or 12 and 4 at worst. I expect the New York Jets to take another step forward in the Todd Bowles era, especially with Sam Darnold now coming along and the additions they made on defense with uh, Tremaine Johnson, especially. And I think they have an 8 and 8 campaign, which is enough to get Todd Bowles a well-deserved contract extension, as the Jets have a bright future ahead. The Buffalo Bills, they're taking a big step back this year. Uh, I actually like their defense, though, and Sean McDermott. It's, it's explains how talented of a coach Sean McDermott is for him to get that season he did out of the Bills last year. But this year, their roster took an even bigger step backwards. But given their defense will probably be good enough to keep them in a lot of games and that defense plus Sean McDermott will be good enough to get five wins out of this team. But their offense is going to be an absolute disaster. So they end the season 511 and the Miami Dolphins. I believe I had them tied. For the worst record in the league this year because that team has shown absolutely uh, nothing over the past several years. I don't trust Ryan Tannehill. Uh their offense uh there's nothing too much excited about on offense outside of Kenyon Drake, and Kenyon Drake is probably gonna lose touches to Frank Gore. And on defense, outside of them getting Mika Fitzpatrick, I don't see anybody exciting on that defense. I think the Dolphins go three and thirteen and Adam Gase gets fired. Are your picks in the EFC East.
1: Well, I've definitely got the Patriots up at top. I, I pencil them in for 12 wins as long as you've got Tom Brady there and Bill Belichick. It's it's hard to do anything else other than that. I also had the Jets. I had them at 7-9, and nine, second place in the AFC East. I really love that Jets defense that they've built up there. That's secondary. Morris Claiborne, Jamal Adams, and Marcus May, they're two draft picks at safety. And adding Tremaine Johnson was, uh, you know... There's that number one cornerback they've been missing since Darrell Revis was there in New York. So that's going to be an exciting defense to watch. I have the Dolphins at five wins. Um, I agree with you. I have no idea what they're doing in Miami. That franchise is adrift. Ryan Tannehill has, you know, how many chances do you give the guy? And Buffalo, the same assessment is there. I have them with four wins um, in the AFC East. They're taking a step back with a long-term plan, and I think that's what they needed to do despite sneaking into the playoffs last year. They made the right move of continuing to take a step back to build up for making a run in three or four years.
0: They most certainly did, and moving on to the AFC North, I still have the Steelers finishing atop the division, albeit at 10-6, and six, because one of the biggest uh, stats that f- forecasts a regression in win total is uh, your record in close games, and I believe the Steelers had one of the best records in close games last year. I, I, I don't know what it was. I forgot what it was, but it was, I believe they and the Panthers had the two best records in close uh, one score games uh, in the entire NFL this year. So I see them taking a little bit of a step back this year and the loss of Ryan here on defense is going to kill them, especially in the running game. I have the Baltimore Ravens at second place. I was kind of thinking, uh, do the Bengals take that next, next step forward this year with the offensive line improvements and uh, Joe Mixon and John Ross uh, developing? It's very close, but I still think the Ravens are going to be 9-7 and seven because they added more weapons on offense, and that defense is quietly one of the best in the league, especially in pass defense. The Bengals I have at 7-9. and nine, um, the sooner they realize they have to get rid of Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati, as you alluded to earlier, the better. I, the, the, the Bengals, they're still young and getting younger and they're going to endure some growing pains. So the Bengals at seven and nine and the Browns, I have them at five and 11. I see them being competitive in most of their games this year, as I said earlier, but I don't trust Hugh Jackson to get more than five wins out of them and he'll be fired.
1: Wow, that um, is—I have the Ravens nine and seven, Bengals seven and nine, Browns five and eleven. Only difference there in the North is I have the Steelers with twelve wins as the number one seed. That offense, you know, getting Le'Veon Bell back, um, Ben Roethlisberger still performing at such a high level. That solid, strong offensive line, um, Antonio Brown the emergence of Juju Smith-Schuster as a weapon just changed that offense for the better last year. I I just see the Steelers, you know, if if they can piece together that defense somehow to make up for the difference of losing Ryan Shazier, because that was a different defense once he was injured last year. And the devastating injury that it was, you know, you could see it just took their breath away and they never recovered the rest of the season. Um, as anybody in Jacksonville can tell you as it played out in that divisional round of the playoffs. So I think that they make a step forward on defense, whether it's, you know, John Bostick that steps into that role, whether it's Vince Vince Williams or Tyler Matkovich, whoever it is, somebody's gonna be able to plug that gap enough for a dozen wins out of Pittsburgh. But but I agree the the Bengals, they've got a clean house there. The defense is eroding away. Um, that secondary that used to be so strong isn't anymore. I kind of remember the Ravens talking about turning over their entire wide receiver core a couple of years ago, and it didn't quite work out the way they planned, so I don't really have a lot of confidence in it happening again this year. I see them as a right-on-the-fringe-of-the-playoffs team because of that defense that they have. And Hard Knocks has showed us this year that Browns coaching staff is dysfunctional Hugh Jackson has got to go. Clean house in Cleveland. My God.
0: Let John Dorsey do his job, Jimmy Haslam. Please let John Dorsey do his job by firing Hugh Jackson at the end of this season. And moving on to the AFC South, I agree with you about the Texans, man. The Texans, if they stay healthy this year, they will win that division and become one of the biggest challengers to the Patriots in the playoffs. And that's exactly what I expect. I expect health to cooperate. As much as possible with the Texans this year, which will be good enough to win them the division at 11 and 5. The Jacksonville Jaguars, even with Blake Boyles at quarterback, that defense and running game are still strong and the running game might even only get stronger with the addition of Andrew Norwell on that offensive line. So the Jaguars will go 10 and 6. The Tennessee Titans, I had hopes for a bounce back year for Marcus Mariota under Matt LaFleur, their new offensive coordinator, but he looks like he's gonna have a lot of growing pains in that offense with his weapons nicked up and him uh him trying to overhaul his footwork. It's gonna be a painful work in progress and the Titans will take a small step back this year and finish eight and eight. At the Indianapolis Colts, even though Andrew Luck is back, the defense is terrible and Andrew Luck doesn't have any scary weapons to give the ball to outside of T. Y. Hilton, but Knowing how good Andrew Luck is, I wouldn't be surprised if the Colts get six wins out of the year. So uh, that's my prediction for the AFC South. What do you think, Hal?
1: Well, I've got Andrew Luck in that same situation. You know, premier offensive talent, healthy at last, terrible defense around him. I have the Colts finishing last at seven and nine. I have Tennessee and Jacksonville both at eight and eight. I think Jacksonville. It's very tough for a young team to have that devastating loss in the playoffs, like they did in the AFC Championship game. I don't believe in Blake Bortles. I think it was a huge strategic mistake not upgrading at quarterback. Um, they're going to have that tougher schedule that they haven't faced before. And, you know, the the weighted schedule in the NFL, we see it every year. These teams that make the playoffs, they have to adapt to having that tougher schedule that next year. So it's going to be interesting to see how those young players in Jacksonville react to having a target on their back for the first time. And and that's tough for some teams, too. You know, it takes another. it may take a year of adjustment for that. And if they can upgrade the quarterback position maybe 2019's the year for Jacksonville to get on back but i'm high on the Houston Texans i have them penciled in at 11 and 5 winning the AFC South i think they've just got so much talent on both sides of the ball uh, bill o'brien very solid coach there as well finally able to have all his pieces together and be a legitimate challenger for the super bowl in the AFC
0: Oh, yes. And I have a lot of respect for Bill O'Brien as a coach and as a person. I was honored to meet him at the Senior Bowl this past year. He's actually one of the nicest guys you'll ever met, but he also knows how to get a team discipline and focus like his mentor, Bill Belichick. And that is going to show a lot this year now that he has his quarterback and defense fully healthy and in place. And now the AFC West, I got the Los Angeles Chargers winning the division at 11 and five. I think the Chargers are long overdue. For a season where the injury bug doesn't bother them that much, and I believe that this is going to be the year for the Chargers to make a deep playoff run. This is the strongest roster they've had around Philip Rivers since 2006, when they should have made it to the uh, AFC Championship game, if not for Drayton Florence making a careless penalty, dare I say. Uh, that's not a disrespect for the Patriots, but uh, Drayton Florence arguably lost them that game with that penalty, uh, the Chiefs I have at ten and six. I believe that Andy Reid will microwave Pat Mahomes' learning curve and have him endure those growing pains. And that offense will be good enough to get the Chiefs into the playoffs for a wild card spot at ten and six. The Broncos I have at seven and nine. I believe that the offense takes a step forward with a competent quarterback at Case Keenum plus the young weapons they have around him. Emmanuel Sanders might have a career year. You got promising rookies in Cortland Sutton and Royce Freeman and don't sleep on undrafted free agent Philip Lindsay, who could be a Deion Lewis type weapon for the Broncos on offense. But defensively, the loss of, of Aqib Tlaib is going to make the secondary take a step backward before it takes another step forward. And that might be the big difference in the season. Plus, the uncertainty with the coaching staff uh, makes me think seven and nine is that most realistic scenario to expect from the Broncos this year, despite the improvements they've made along the roster. And the Raiders, I just don't know what they're doing. They're, even though they don't want to trade Cleo Mack, they're trying to trade him, but, and by trading him, John Gruden is essentially admitting that we're rebuilding, we're rebuilding. And he he probably is because he signed a lot of 30 somethings to the roster this year, and they drafted some young pieces that will hopefully form a committee to replace Cleo Mack in Arden Key on the edge, and PJ Hall, and Maurice Hurst uh, rushing from the inside, so, uh, the Raiders are taking a, another step backward before they take another step forward, and I have them at 5-11 and 11 because without their best player, I think the step backwards they take this year is uh, going to be pretty sizable compared to where they were two years ago. What do you think, Cal? AFC West.
1: I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I had the Raiders as the top competition heading into last year to the Steelers and Patriots, and the falling flat on their face. Um, I I don't know if John Gruden really knows what he's doing in rebuilding this team. It's you know
0: oh it's it's it's, it's dysfunctional there.
1: It, it's total dysfunction. And when you're looking at a coach in the first year of his ten year, a hundred million dollar contract, you know, with this situation, with the Khalil Mack situation, I have the Raiders as the worst team in the league at three and thirteen. It, let alone the worst team in the AFC West. I've got the Chargers with 10 wins at the top of the division. They're the most complete team. If they can get a reliable kicker, if they can somehow manage to win these close games that they've been probably lost over the last two, three years, it seems every close game they lose, if they can just turn that around a little, um, you know they've got all the pieces on both sides. Chiefs right behind him. I like Pat Mahomes. It's hard to pick against Andy Reid. He knows how to put his team in a position to win, especially in the regular season. I have them as a playoff team as well. And Denver, same analysis. Um, I have them at seven and nine as well. Love the defense. You know, kind of concerned about Bradley Roby having to step into step up a level there. Uh, He's flashed great talent since he's been the number one pick in 2014, but having Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris to take the top two weapons makes your job a little easier, and, and now he's got the target on him on that defense, and I'm not the biggest Case Keenum fan in the world. I kept waiting for his bubble to burst, and when I finally gave in in the NFC Championship game, his bubble burst big time against Philadelphia. Um You know, there's so many question marks on that Denver offense. You know, is Jake Butt healthy? Is he going to be able to contribute at tight end? Is Royce Freeman as a rookie ready to step in and play a significant role? Ditto for Cortland Sutherland as that third wide receiver they desperately need with Emmanuel Sanders getting into his 30s, having health problems last year. Demarius Thomas is still maddening at times as. Demarius Thomas seems to be with all that talent and then you know seemingly shows up some games and doesn't want to fight for the football so I have the Broncos at seven and nine as well but two playoff teams coming out of that AFC West and the Chargers and the Chiefs
0: uh did you also have the Chiefs at ten and six Al?
1: uh nine and seven sorry yep just a step behind the Chargers
0: and nine and seven no problem and for the record um while i believe case keenum will be better than the version he was with the rams against the broncos given the amount of weapons around him i agree the margin for error with a guy like case keenum as your quarterback and the best description for a guy like case keenum is vanilla ice cream meaning that uh, he is efficient and okay but he doesn't have anything else to add other than that and if the defense has an off day case keenum is not the guy that can save the day as we found out in the uh, nfc championship game last year the vikings uh, they had to pitch a perfect game on defense so case keenum could do what he does best which is remain efficient and manage the game effectively but once that defense fell apart in that game they couldn't do it
1: exactly right you know he's he's great if you're nursing a lead but trying to come from behind it's a you need a different quarterback in that situation
0: Yes, and that's arguably the biggest reason why they uh, signed Kirk Cousins instead. And speaking of uh, the Kirk Cousins, let's move on to the NFC, starting with the NFC East. I got the Eagles, albeit at only 10-6. and I expect them to struggle to start the season uh, because the Super Bowl hangover is real, plus Carson Wentz is not going to be full strength when he comes back, whether it's Game 2 or Game 3, and it's going to take him until Halloween to get his game back, dare I say, but I think a late season run puts them in first place at 10 and 6. I got the Cowboys and Giants at both 8 and 8. Uh, the Giants, uh, the uncertainty around Eli Manning and the Cowboys uncertainty around the offensive line uh, made me um, not choose a winner between those two. Those two are going to be neck and neck uh, for second place all season long, but watch out for that Cowboys defense, though. I think they take a major step forward there this year with that young talent they got in Chidobe Awuzie, Jalen Smith, and rookie Leighton Vander And the Washington Redskins—this uh, is not a slight against Alex Smith, but I think he's going to crash down to earth this year because the Redskins, although they do have a pretty good defensive front there, the back end on defense is just a mess. If they can't get to the quarterback, then. And it's over. And those weapons around Alex Smith are nowhere near the weapons he had in Kansas City. And the Redskins, I think, take another step back before they take a step forward at 5 and 11.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm very similar in that. You know, Philadelphia is still the best team in the NFC East. I have them at 11-5, and a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover there as well. Dallas nipping at their heels at 9-7, and seven, right on the cusp of being a playoff contender. Um, I'm just not sure that they have enough weapons at wide receiver to, to push them into the upper echelon and challenge the Eagles there. The Giants have made improvements. But now you have to start worrying about is Eli Manning at that stage of his career where he's going to be, continue to decline, um, where his numbers have been going down. I have the Giants at 7-9, and nine, and the Redskins, uh, such a mess. Uh, I have them at 5-11 and 11 as well. I really can't see counting on Adrian Peterson, Vernon Davis, you know Jordan Reed's going to be injured at some point, and you know... The, the wide receivers—it's going to be a different story from Alex Smith. There's no Travis Kelsey there. You know he doesn't have those weapons that he had in Kansas City and throwing the ball to the, the Josh Doxson, who hasn't taken that step you would expect a first-round pick to make. Jamison Crowder, uh, all that money they threw at Paul Richardson this off season. i just look at this Redskins team as a mess, and they're in last place in the NFC East at five and eleven.
0: So we are pretty much in agreement when it comes to the NFC East, and the NFC North promises to be a very interesting division this year, given the quarterbacks in this division. you got Kirk Cousins now coming in to join Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, and Mitchell Trubisky, who is poised for a second-year breakout, dare I say. But I obviously have the Vikings at 13 and 3. The Vikings are my, spoiler alert, they're my pick to win the NFC this year at 13 and 3. After looking at their schedule on my Vikings season preview episode with Miles Gorham, I see them finishing no worse than 12 and 4. The Packers I have at 11 and 5. With Aaron Rodgers back, they, they're a lock for 10 or 11 wins, but I don't think their roster is as good as the Vikings right now to make a push there for first place. The Lions, I have them pretty much the same as last year at nine and seven. While they do take a step forward, I don't think it's going to be big enough given how stacked the NFC is, but Matt Patricia will have a lot of Lions fans encouraged uh, after this season. Plus, the lack of a pass rush they have on defense is going to, going to hurt them big time. And the Bears, I actually see them going seven and nine even though they finished in last place, because last year they had one of the league's worst records in one score games, and they're bound for some positive regression. And I think the additions they made on offense, plus uh, Matt Nagy and his creativity will be enough to get them seven wins and point in the right direction as well.
1: Yeah, that's a very strong division there. Um, I'm thinking Green Bay, that defense is ready to take that next step forward. I have them and Minnesota, both at 11 and five. I'm giving the tiebreaker to Green Bay. I'm giving that Green Bay that uh, tiebreaker there to take that next step forward um, and just nose ahead of Minnesota in the standings. Um, with both those teams, 11-5, I also have Detroit and Chicago both at 6-10. and 10. I think Detroit needs another year or two to get that rebuilding in place, and Chicago on the other side as well. That team is – Building in the right direction, but still a year or two away uh, from Mitch Trubisky and, co- and company in Chicago. So I'll give them um, Lions and Bears on the outside, Packers and Vikings in a great fight to the finish to see who wins that division.
0: And another great fight to the finish will probably be on tap in the NFC South with the Falcons and Saints. You got Drew Brees and the Saints' exciting young core headed into their second year together. And you've already added uh, Marcus Davenport into that picture, who they're going to need a big year from. And Drew Brees uh, having Teddy Bridgewater in that room now, that's going to motivate him to play some of the best football of his career. But when you look at the Atlanta Falcons, the Atlanta Falcons were a top 10 defense last year. And if Vic Beasley and Takaris McKinley take the next step forward, they could be a top five defense. They have speed to kill on that defense. And plus uh, adding Isaiah Oliver in, which could uh, send Robert Alford into the slot at cornerback along with Desmond Trufant with Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen and DeMonte Casey giving them three deep at safety. This Falcons defense looks super promising and now adding Calvin Ridley to that offense in year two under Steve Sarkeesian where they're bound for some positive regression in terms of red zone production and point scoring in general. Calvin Ridley is the most dangerous receiver to line up across from Julio Jones since Roddy White and you know how Matt Ryan trusted Roddy White to move those chains. He's going to trust Calvin Ridley to do the same and The growth of that defense plus Calvin Ridley, I think, will be enough to give the Falcons a slight edge over the New Orleans Saints. The Falcons at 11 and 5, and the Saints at 10 and 6. The Carolina Panthers, they're taking a step backwards at 8 and 8. That offensive line is a mess. It's gonna take Cam Newton some time to get used to Norv Turner's offense, even though I think Christian McCaffrey is a very, very excellent year. And that defense with Thomas Davis getting older and still some questions in the secondary, aside from promising rookie Dante Jackson, the Panthers are going to take a step backwards with an 8-8 eight eight campaign. and The Buccaneers are just a mess. Uh, Jameis Winston, he's not a future franchise quarterback. In, in, you can easily say that Jameis Winston is essentially another Jake Cutler with even worse behavior off the field. So, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they should have traded for Teddy Bridgewater in my opinion, but good for the Saints who did. Uh, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think, are a very top contender for me to finish with the number one overall pick of the 2019 NFL Draft. They are going to regret taking Vita Vea over Derwin James. The defensive front looks better, but there's still no star in that front outside of Gerald McCoy and those... And Levante David's career appears to have passed its prime, and that secondary is just a mess. And as loaded as that offense is with weapons, I don't trust Jameis Winston or Ryan Fitzpatrick, 3-13 for the Bucks.
1: I'm very similar in that. I've got Atlanta 11-5, New Orleans 10-6, Carolina a step back behind them at 9-7, and, and Tampa Bay resting at the bottom um, at 4-12. and 12. Yeah, I mean, the loss of Jamin, Jameis Winston with that suspension has an already tough start to their season. Looking like it's going to be even tougher for Tampa Bay with Ryan Fitzpatrick as your backup quarterback. There, um, it, it's just, it's just, I just don't see how Tampa Bay takes a step forward this year as well. It's just so many problems, and to open with the, at the Saints against the Eagles. Um, primetime game against the Steelers on a Monday night, and then the Bears before they go into the bye and then face the Falcons on the other side of the bye on the road. I mean, you're looking at, you know, their sixth game of the season against Cleveland as their, their first chance to win a game here in Tampa Bay. So that NFC South, just like it was last year, is such a strong and competitive division. But I'm high on the Falcons this year, and I see them as just edging ahead of the New Orleans Saints here um, to take that number one spot out of the NFC South.
0: So we are in virtual agreement about the NFC South with some slight differences in the Panthers and Bucks' final records. And last but not least, the NFC West, which could end up being the most exciting division in terms of quarterback play in the next three to four years. I have the Rams finishing atop the division at 11-5. and five. The 49ers, although they look promising under Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan, they're still a year or two away. They need to work on the back end of that defense in my opinion. And they're going to make an improvement this year, but not enough to make the playoffs. I have them in 8-8. Eight and eight. I also have the Seahawks in 8-8. Eight eight. Yes, I know they lost a lot of their defense and offense as well, but I am not betting against Russell Wilson. I, R- Russell Wilson is a top five quarterback in this league, and he's good enough for seven or eight wins. And the Arizona Cardinals, it's going to get worse before it gets better. They'll be in a lot of games and be a tough out but i still think uh, they end up on the losing end of most of their games with the 5 and 11 record given the horrendous lack of depth on that roster
1: yeah i'm pretty close to that a little bit of difference but uh definitely the rams at the top i see them as the number one seed coming out of the nfc uh with a 12 and 4 record i love jimmy garoppolo i said it all last year Um, you know, I would have been sorely tempted to keep Garoppolo and shop Brady if it was me running the Patriots, but, um, as great as Garoppolo was down the stretch you know momentum doesn't really carry over from one season to the next and there there's still some big questions with that 49ers uh, the back end of that 49ers defense and uh, as far as the weapons of Garoppolo, that Garoppolo has if they're also, that's all going to gel and be enough and, and remember he's not catching anybody by surprise this year uh, it's going to be his first year with that big target on him and uh, young quarterbacks have to have that adjustment season so I I have san francisco at six and ten i have uh, russell wilson and seattle at six and ten i think seattle's just lost so many pieces um that secondary is is just one big question mark at this point which is just hard to believe and where just five years ago it was the one of the best secondaries in nfl history so um i've got them at six and ten and arizona uh exactly the same at five and 11 as well that team is sam bradford might win them a couple of games early on in the season um having david johnson back helps but there's too many questions on both sides of the ball and just not enough talent there in arizona
0: he is Hal Benton, ladies and gentlemen. You can catch his work at fullpresscoverage.com as well as musketfire.com if you're a Patriots fan, as well as bostonsportspage.com. And Hal, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. But before we let you go here, let's make our final predictions for the 2018 playoffs and Super Bowl predictions. And starting with the NFC playoff seeds, I obviously have the Vikings, the number one seed, the Rams at number two, Falcons at number three, Eagles at number four, Packers five six Saints, which should provide a very interesting playoff picture and competition.
1: Yeah, just like last year, that that the top of the NFC is just so strong. It's it's like the Western Conference in the NBA. There's just too many good teams there. Um, I've got the Rams as the number one seed uh, with their twelve and four record. Philadelphia as the two. Um, Falcons as the three, Packers as the four, and Minnesota and New Orleans as the wild card teams, which just makes for, oh my God, bring on the playoffs if that's the way it ends up. My goodness.
0: Oh, absolutely. And moving on to the AFC playoff seeds, I got the Patriots. Still getting home field advantage. I will not bet against Tom Brady, until I see some physical decline out of him. The Chargers at number two, the Texans at number three, Steelers at number four, and the Jaguars and Chiefs as the wild cards.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty close. I've got Pittsburgh as the number one on a tiebreaker there. Uh, it's going to be a tough start of the season for the Patriots without Julian Edelman with that four game suspension. Uh, so it might be another rough start as the Patriots are used to these past couple of seasons. But Pittsburgh, New England, one and two, Houston as the three, Chargers as the four, and Chiefs and Ravens um, as the two wild card teams coming out of the AFC.
0: And moving on to the NFC Championship game, I have it as an NFC North match between the Vikings and Packers at U.S. Bank Stadium, and I have the Vikings pulling off a 27-23 victory.
1: Uh, I've been touting the Falcons all day, all offseason. I've got the Falcons uh, going up against the Rams in that uh, NFC Championship game, and the Falcons heading to the Super Bowl.
0: And what's the final score of that game, would you say?
1: Oh, I'm going to take the Falcons in a close one, 28-24.
0: Oh, that would be a very, very good matchup. And for the AFC Championship game, I have the Patriots hosting the Chargers at Gillette, winning 24-16. to 16.
1: I've got the Patriots, but on the road against the Steelers, um, you know, it seems like these teams are always on a collision course and yet never collide in that AFC Championship game. It's either one or the other lately, and um, I, I think we need that epic matchup. I see it as a slugfest in the uh, frozen Heinz field, but the Patriots pulling it out 27-24, to 24, and hey, maybe we'll have a contested catch right at the goal line as well, just like last year in the regular season.
0: Uh, but the catch rules have changed, so Patriots fans, beware. And last but not least, Super Bowl 53. As you can tell, I have the Vikings facing the Patriots, and I wouldn't be surprised at any outcome if these two teams meet in the Super Bowl. The Vikings, with one of the strongest rosters in the league, and the Patriots with the best coach quarterback combination of all time, best quarterback in NFL history, and arguably the best head coach in NFL history—at least the best one not named Vince Lombardi. Uh, As much as I lean towards the Patriots winning earlier, I just have a feeling. So far in the past recent years. Uh, we have seen teams that have not been able to win it all, finally been able to win it all. The Cleveland Cavaliers, the Cubs, the Eagles, I think the Vikings joined that club. They beat the Patriots in Super Bowl 53, 31-28 in overtime on a field goal by rookie kicker Daniel Carlson, erasing the memory of Gary Anderson's miss. Woo. Um... Amazingly, Patriots-Falcons and the— Sorry, Hal, I won't be surprised if the Patriots win that game, though, too. And you have a rematch of Super Bowl 51 with the Falcons-Patriots.
1: Yes, and, you know, are the Falcons going to jump out to a 28-3 to lead? I'm not sure this time around that this happens, but— Boy, you know, I, I love the idea of these two teams, that fast Falcons defense, the Patriots with that improved front seven, um, you know, being able to stop the run this year should help that defense so much more. Adrian Claiborne coming from the Falcons takes that Rob Ninkovich role in the defense that they sorely missed last season. And But, man, how do you bet against Tom Brady in a big game, Um uh, He may not throw for 500 yards, but I see the Patriots edging out the Falcons in a lower-scoring game than we would expect, 24-20. to
0: Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. Follow him on Twitter at HalBent01Hal. It was a pleasure having you on the show as always, and we look forward to seeing you very soon.
1: I can't wait to be back. I love the NFL predictions and and this anticipation. It's like it's Christmas Eve for us here, david. i'm I'm so excited to get ready for this season to to kick off here next week.
0: It certainly is Christmas Eve for us again. Merry football, Hal, and thank you very much. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch, but we'll be back in just a few days with our preview of the Week 1 NFL matchup, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as a blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, stay awesome, enjoy football this weekend, and good luck on your fantasy football drafts. Take care and stay awesome, everybody.